Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress, Channel 127. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to Dino Badala and his entire crew for being such a great live lead-in. I'm John Fugelsang. For the next three hours, we'll be coming at you with facts and empathy and humor and music and reality and bring you to the brink of entertainment. Our number for the next three hours is 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. There is so much to get to tonight, and we have some great, great guests. It's been a crazy day. Once again, the right-wing Nazi clot caucus Republicans in the House have blocked feckless House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from even having a defense spending bill. Did you ever think you would live to see the day when Republicans couldn't even agree on funding the Pentagon. <laughs> I mean, uh, also, uh, President Vladimir Zelensky arrived in Washington to meet with members of Congress and uh, the Biden administration, but was barred from addressing a joint session of the House and Senate. Little Putin winged monkeys don't really want to hear from him these days. Um, also, the tropical system is rapidly developing off the Carolina coast. It's going to bring high winds and torrential rain to much of the East Coast over the next four days. And the Biden administration has restored a temporary protected status to immigrants from Venezuela. Almost 500,000 migrants from Venezuela seeking legal asylum, fleeing a humanitarian catastrophe. And it's going to allow them to once again work and contribute to this economy. And boy, did that infuriate some right-wing Christians. You know, a bunch of Christian refugees fling a humanitarian crisis, being able to work in a society where unemployment is at its lowest levels in half a century, work, pay taxes, and pay into our social security system. But of course, uh, that upset the Christians, didn't it? We'll talk about that as well. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer. Uh, we're going to have uh, the great Thea Harper is our associate producer, but Thea's our boss tomorrow. Chris has got a couple days off, so... If you call, be nice to Thea. i got to be really nice to her because tomorrow she's the boss. And uh, we got some great guests tonight. Hey, we have so much to get to. I'm really sorry for all of you who heard Cassidy Hutchinson's accusations. Um, I, I know it's terrible to think that maybe Rudy Giuliani might be a lecherous old man. I'm sure it's not true. Tonight on the show, we're going to be bringing one of the best comics I've ever seen. Uh, one of the best political comics in the world, who I first saw years ago on my second date with my wife when we went to see a documentary about censorship in the Bush administration, the first one, called Damned in the USA. Uh, Jimmy Tingle is a legend in 
Boston and a legend in political comedy. We were very proud to have him join us, me and Frank Conniff and Rhonda, for opening night of Laughing Liberally Off-Broadway before the pandemic hit. And he's going to be doing some shows in New York. Really glad to have him here. Um, Not just one of the funniest comics, but one of the nicest comics I've ever met. Someone who is sober and works clean. And, um, of course, someone who is so politically sharp that I see him go up in front of any kind of audience any kind of conservative audience, and he never hides what his biases are, but he always makes them laugh. We're also going to be debuting a really great segment I've been looking forward to for a long time. I think this is going to make us the first radio show with a regular uh, First Nations segment, but we have two of our favorite indigenous guests who've done the show many times, and we thought, why not put them together? Uh, Julie Franchella and Simon Moya-Smith will be here in hour number two to talk about a whole lot of issues relating to First Nations people and to all of us by extension. Thea Harper, our producer, is going to be here in the third hour with uh, another edition of the Minority Report. I think we're ready. I think we're okay. Let's do a show. Let's begin with a question here. Um, Who has been the most destructive person in America and the most destructive person to America in this century? Who do you think, really? Say it out loud. Donald Trump? No. I mean... Pretty destructive, yeah, but he's he's just the hood ornament. You know, Donald Trump is just the symptom of a greater problem. He's he's the hood ornament on the car that crashes into the peaceful village. Who who really? The most destructive person? Elon Elon Musk? No. All Elon did was destroy a once great website. And Grimes's taste in men. God, really, who who's the most destructive person in America? This such George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, right? I mean, that might be the answer, maybe. But they couldn't have done all the horrible things they achieved from the recession to the unholiness of the Iraq war to the housing meltdown. They couldn't have done any of it. They couldn't have gotten into power without the man Joe Biden once called the most dangerous man in the world. Rupert Murdoch announced today that he's stepping down as chairman of Fox and of News Corps. He is one of the wealthiest and most powerful men in the world. He's 92 He's single, ladies, and he's a man who parlayed his dad's small Australian newspaper business into a global print and TV and digital empire. He is, without a doubt, I would say, the single most influential individual in all global media. Steven Spielberg? No, it's Murdoch. He's the most powerful, and he's one of the most indifferent to morality and truth. Here in the States, you know, his properties include Fox News and Fox TV stations and The Wall Street Journal. The New York Post, HarperCollins, he sold off a lot of his property. He, he sold off 20th Century Fox a while back in New York Magazine. He's a man whose only religion was control of the media and power of the press and manipulation of world events. You see, peace and people getting along and unity, that doesn't sell papers. We talk about it all the time. People of different backgrounds being nice and patient and working together to make the world a better place, no one's going to click on that. It's not going to get high ratings. He's a man who knew that you get high ratings if people are afraid. If people are comfortable, (laughs) they're going to enjoy their lives. But if you can keep them on edge, if you can keep them angry, if you can keep them paranoid, if you can keep them constantly believing they are the victims of some kind of existential threat... Oh, the power you can grow. He had the same formula for almost all of his newspapers. Uh, Sex and crime and violence and some kind of racial discord. You know, if you've ever been to the UK and you read some of his papers and you see the page three girls and these naked women, that's 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 Murdoch. 
It's a man who was using the word coloreds well into the 1980s to describe African-American folks, a truly destructive force in America, and a man who really gets the lion's share of credit for ushering in this era of hatred, where post-truth politics and open, constantly mutating racism can thrive. He is the man who helped reshape the party of Lincoln into this Donald Trump authoritarian cult. He's a man who made a more scared, a more ignorant, a more hateful, a more misinformed, and a more violent planet Earth. I mean, if you're wondering how Alexander Hamilton could start a newspaper and have it devolve into the racist rag that is the New York Post, it's because of Rupert. If you know somebody who was killed or maimed in Iraq, he made that happen. If your uncle and aunt have gone from nice conservative folks who you didn't agree with, but you still had them over for Christmas and you loved them, but now they're wild-eyed conspiracy racists who hate you, Rupert Murdoch messed up your family. If your high school friend still believes Barack Obama is a Muslim who wasn't born here in America, that's because of Rupert Murdoch. If you saw cops being beaten by neo-Confederates on the Capitol steps January 6, 2021, Rupert Murdoch made it happen. No one on this planet has done more to spread lies to deny the science of climate change than Rupert Murdoch. No one has done more to undermine any efforts to begin addressing the crisis than Rupert Murdoch. No one has done more damage to our democracy. And no one's done more for the intellectual decay of our society in the past, what, half century, at least in this century, than Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) You know, they want to blame it on Ebonics. Actually, that's what Rupert Murdoch did. He launched the crown jewel of his media empire, Fox News, back in 1996, when he was a young man of 65. And of course, 27 years later, uh, he is still with us. And he has lived long enough under his stewardship to see his network try to sabotage our entire democracy by promoting and pushing all of Donald Trump's stolen election lies. And of course, it cost him three quarters of a bill. He's had to pay out $787.5 million in a settlement with Dominion Voting Systems because he couldn't keep his anchors from lying. Now, Americans might not remember this, but our friends in the UK do. He was embroiled in this phone hacking scandal for years after reporters from News of the World, the British tabloid he owned, one of them, were accused of hacking politicians and and celebrities. Everyone from Prince Harry to Hugh Grant has testified about this. Of course, it got so bad at one point, he had to meet with the family of the murdered teenager Millie Dowler and apologized to her family for the hacking of her phone by News of the World staff. He, did, he actually did a full-page ad in seven national newspapers apologizing for this. In 2012, uh, John Riley, the head of Sky News, admitted to authorizing journalists to hack into the emails of private citizens. And Sky News is owned by News Corps. Now, Rupert Murdoch should have lost his United States broadcast licenses after that, or at least broken up under the antitrust laws after the scandal in the United Kingdom that led to the death of Millie Dowler. But, you know, he gets credit for Brexit, too. I mean, his newspapers peddled so many lies about Brexit that the EU was banning the import of of bananas and that Yemen was going to join the EU. He used so much fear of a Muslim UK to make Brexit happen. And of course, you guys know, even though Joe Biden beat Trump by 8 million, 7 million votes, the network officials allowed the anchors to push the lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And we know this. It's not an opinion. The Dominion lawsuit proved it. 
Fox News poured gasoline on the fire of that insurrection attack on our Capitol. And Rupert let his cable news stars knowingly lie to hurt and threaten your democracy. I mean, great replacement theory that Tucker Carlson pushed so many times. Yeah, that's Rupert. If you have racist people in your family who think that the Democrats are a plot to bring in immigrants or Jews to be new citizens, to push white people out, I will give you a bet of $100 they got it from someone Rupert Murdoch signs a paycheck for. All the quackery about COVID-19. I mean, the fact that there are so many people, so many more Trump supporters died of COVID than non-Trump supporters. The fact that the death rates were so much higher in counties in America that went for Trump than counties that went for Biden. Those deaths are on Rupert. All the conspiracy theories about January 6th, the Seth Rich conspiracy theory, the Barack Obama wasn't born here and he's a Muslim conspiracy theory, Hillary Clinton's emails, Hillary Clinton's a lesbian who had an affair with with Vince Foster, all of it. Think about Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes. Think about how those men were allowed to sexually abuse women in the building across the street from the Sirius XM studios in Midtown Manhattan. Think about the millions of dollars in payouts for sexual harassment and all the other things at Fox News. Gretchen Carlson has written a book about it. And, you know, why didn't the Murdochs do something about Roger Ailes before this went public? Why didn't the Murdochs do something about Bill O'Reilly before his sexual abuse of women went public? You know why? Because both of those men were making Rupert Murdoch a lot of money. And, of course, my friends, there is no greater scandal in our lifetime than the invasion and occupation of Iraq in March 2003. Hundreds of thousands of human beings were killed, their lives snuffed out. First in the invasion where Fox News promoted shock and awe, which is a great way of saying mass slaughter of civilians in a country that has never attacked us. And then, of course, we tried to warn them. We tried to warn them when Fox News was having Hannity come out every night to call war protesters terrorists, traitors, sympathizers for bin Laden, We warned what would happen in Iraq, which was never supposed to be a country. The British Empire took a few tribes that didn't like each other and gave it borders. But of course, we know the host at Fox News, aha, don't know Shiite. Rupert Murdoch deserves credit for the rise of the Islamic State and all the terror they wrought. Rupert Murdoch made the Ayatollahs in Iran stronger and Syria as well by helping destroy Iraq. Think about all the refugees around the world. Think about everything that happened in the Middle East and how the far right has gone crazy across Europe. Think about all the lies that got passed off as facts. Think about every credible skeptic that was mocked as an unpatriotic appeaser. He's going to transition from his role overseeing the Fox Corporation and News Corps boards. He announced this morning, Lachlan Murdoch, his oldest evil son, will serve as the sole executive at the helm of the media's empire. I mean, this family was so evil, succession was based on them, except the people in succession were somewhat likable. Rupert's going to stay on as chair emeritus at Fox and the News. He'll probably make the final transition later this fall. Now, lately, he's been a bit anti-Trump, you may have noticed. Their whole decision to call the 2020 election in favor of Joe Biden really triggered a big rift between Trump and Murdoch. Murdoch's always hated him. But Trump was good for ratings, so Murdoch let him be president. In uh, a few months ago, they were finally going after him. Uh, Wall Street, actually, last year, the Wall Street Journal said Mr. Trump betrayed his supporters by conning them on January 6th, and he's still doing it. Wow, he cut him loose. New York Post 
The New York Post, that racist rag, said reports that Trump was pleased that the January 6th crowd chanted for Mike President Pence to be hanged. A truly reprehensible sentiment makes him unworthy for the office. Trump can't look past 2020. Let him remain there. Because Trump was no longer any use to Rupert. Rupert's smart enough to know Trump probably will never be president again. So they cut him loose when he was no longer profitable. (laughs) There's nothing funnier than Fox News viewers screaming that George Soros is a foreign-born billionaire who's using his money to influence our politics. Imagine the projection. (laughs) Imagine how they've used Fox News to scare so many people. Imagine how this foreign-born billionaire used his money to influence our politics and get people to accuse George Soros of doing exactly that. And Rupert wrote a message to his employees today where uh, he said in the letter, elites have open contempt for those who are not members of their rarefied class. Most of the media is in cahoots with those elites peddling political narratives rather than pursuing the truth. The hypocrisy and projection is above anything Trump could do. Elites? Media in cahoots with elites? Not pursuing the truth? Rupert Murdoch is a billionaire elite who was able to get his COVID vaccine shot before the Queen of England got hers. His media helped elect two millionaires at birth to the presidency. You want to talk about elites? And because of lies that his media pushed, one of those millionaire at birth presidents launched an illegal war that killed hundreds of thousands. And because of those lies that his media pushed, the other millionaire at birth he made president launched a terrorist attack against our capital, where cops were beaten by men with Confederate flags. And it was all for lies. It was all for ratings eyeballs, clicks, and money. The world is worse off, and American democracy is worse off because of Rupert Murdoch. There are people on this earth who aren't alive now, who should be alive, but they're not because of the lies of Rupert Murdoch. And the irony of Rupert, honestly, he proves one of Fox News' greatest lies might be a little bit true, that sometimes immigrants really do come here to destroy America. We want to know what you guys think. We're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with your calls and the great Jimmy Tingle, one of the best political comedians in the game. This is Sirius XM. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. A couple of years ago, we had our run of Laughing Liberally off-Broadway right before the pandemic hit, and we were so honored, Frank Conniff and me and Rhonda, on opening night to have this next gentleman join us because he is one of the all-time greatest comics to come out of Boston, and Boston is a real comics town. He's also one of the best political comics I have ever seen, a guy who can completely stand in his own truth and his own biases and still make people who disagree with him laugh. He's a magician. He's the blue-collar comic with the Harvard degree, and he's played all over the world. You've seen him or heard Heard him on 60 Minutes, MSNBC, The Tonight Show, Conan, NPR, his own HBO half-hour comedy special. He's back on the road with upcoming dates near you, and he's even playing in New York City for the next couple of weeks. People of Earth, please welcome back Mr. Jimmy Tingle. Hello, sir. John, great to see you, my friend. Thanks so much for having me on. And I have to say, that monologue, man, was amazing. That was amazing. I love that. That drilling down on the on Fox, I don't think I've ever heard anybody put it as succinctly as you just did. And I only heard half of it. So I have to subscribe to Sirius XM just so I, just so I can hear this show, especially the, the thing about the vaccine that, you know, he got the vaccine, but they pushed the lie about the vaccine exactly. and they caused dissension. And it, it, John, I have a friend of mine, recovering heroin addict. OK would not take the vaccine. I said, why won't you take the vaccine? His exact words were, you don't know what's in it. I said, you've been buying illegal drugs on the streets from strangers. What do you think that was approved by the Surgeon General? (laughs) I know guys who take steroids who are pushing fear about the vaccine, but enough about RFK Jr. Um, Yeah, you know, it's... (laughs) It's amazing. And look, like I, I, I worked for Rupert at one point. I did a show for Fox. Most people out in our industry at some point have worked for them. They're a huge, huge global media empire. But, you know, we were losing 3,000 Americans a day, one nine eleven worth of souls a day to COVID-19. And we're not anymore. And it's because of the vaccine. And Fox News Studios are right across the street from Sirius XM. You have to be vaccinated to go work there. That was their policy. And yet he still wow. let his staff go on the air every night to push the fear because a comfortable, safe, happy populace is not going to be scared, is not going to be glued to your the Fox News boob tube. Right. And the other thing you were mentioning, John, is that they when they called the the when they called the race for Biden. OK, they had the best technology to determine the vote count. And That's so right. they were in a position ahead of everybody else. That's why they called it first. They had the technology. They're the most profitable company. They had the technology. So they weren't speculating when they called it. They knew that he had carried Arizona, but then the lie came. And that's, that's right. even more of a deliberate lie. It's one thing if you don't really know. It's another thing if you know and you're misleading your own people. It was amazing. Uh, that was just such a great monologue. Thank you for that. Oh, well, God bless you, Jimmy. Listen, I'm so glad you're back on the road right now. Tell me a bit about the new one-person show you're working on. 
Yeah, I'm just doing a show. It's largely autobiographical. I'm doing it down at the Broadway Comedy Club. They have a little theater upstairs called the Red Room. It's and it only holds about 75 people or so. And I'm doing it there on Monday nights at 6 o'clock. John, my strategy is the all the other theater shows in the, in the city are closed on Monday nights. Why not just own the market and get people <laughs> to come out to my show on Sunday, uh, Monday nights at six o'clock at the Broadway Comedy Club? It's called The Red Room and it's autobiographical. I talk about starting out as a street performer up in Baltimore, well, open mic night, gong shows, uh, you know, talent contest, the whole bit, and actually did street performing up there in, uh, in Cambridge uh, back in the day. And John, I admit there is a fine line between street performing and simply being drunk in public. I admit that. <laughs> but you've always talked very candidly in your act and in your CDs as well about how you found out that you were never going to have the kind of career you could have until you got a handle on your drinking. And you've actually taken that pain and made it part of your humor, which I've always admired so much. Well, thank you, John. Yeah, I was really lucky. And you know what, where I was lucky? I was lucky that a, a comedian, a comedian, I'm not going to mention his name, but he said to me, Jimmy, you're a funny guy. He said, if you ever quit drinking, you could be a really big star. And honestly, John, I'm thinking, a star? If I become a really big star, I can drink all I want. And so <laughs> that was part of the motivation. But I said, how am I going to do this? And he goes, do you believe in God? I said, well, I was Catholic. I was an altar boy. I believe there probably is a God. He said, you got to start asking. Why don't you start asking God to help you quit drinking? And I'm thinking to myself, ask God to help me quit drinking. Calm down. What does God have to do with this? <laughs> and he and he's thinking to himself, Jim, I've seen you under the influence. It's going to take divine intervention. But it, it actually, I started doing that. And then what it did, John, is it, it made me start to look for help. And I started calling places for help, detoxes, rehabs, treatment centers, hospitals. I don't know if you ever tried to get anybody into any of these places. But I have. You, it's really hard. You get the runaround. And this is a week before Christmas, 1987. I called the Cambridge City Hospital. They had a federally funded program there called Cahill 3. I said to the man who answered the phone, I really need help. And John, without missing a beat, this guy says, you called the right place. You never hear that. You called the right place. I went into that hospital. I stayed seven days through Christmas 1987. I got out. I moved down here to New York City. I focused on stand-up comedy and recovery. And a week later that I went into that hospital, I got the greatest Christmas gift any young comic could ever ask for, a spot on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Now, John, I don't want to date myself, and I don't want to date myself to your listeners, but the other guest that night was Bob Hope. Damn, I didn't know that. That's amazing. That's amazing. He's a solid middle, too. Um, you know, I want to I ask you, though, what was it that made you decide that you wanted to focus so much on politics in your act? Because every agent, every manager I've ever had has begged me not to go to politics. They say you're going to alienate half your audience. You can't get booked on late night TV doing political stand up. The material's dated in two weeks. You want to have an act you can do for years. What was it that made you feel called to do current events material? The same thing that motivated you. You're passionate about the material. It's what you care about. And if, you, if it's what you care about, then you don't really have a choice. I mean, I do other things as well, but primarily that's what I was, I was into. I mean, I grew up in Cambridge. I had relatives who were, um, you know, uh, on the school committee, excuse me, a city council, a mayor, a city manager. 
kind of local politics was in our blood. You know, we're a big Italian family. I'm half Italian. The other half's English, Irish, Scottish, Swedish. So we're, I'm a real mutt. But my big Italian family, they were very much involved in local politics. So I just grew up in that environment. And I liked it. I studied history, political science in college, sociology. So that's what I really was passionate about and cared about. And growing up in a city like Cambridge, this it's a very diverse place, rich, poor, black, white, Arab, Jew, Gentile, you know, everything with Harvard and MIT in the same city. So you have this sociological experiment every single day in that yeah. type of environment. So I just I just like politics. So I Eventually, when I got sober, I started talking about things that I cared about. When I was drinking, I talked about drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've always viewed you as sort of being a mirror image of Jackie Mason. And l let me explain how. Um, you know, I, I disagreed with Jackie Mason on politics. He was he was very vile on many things. But one of the funniest guys I ever saw live, one of the funniest men I ever met. And he could make me laugh even when I didn't agree with him. And I've seen you do the same thing with conservative brothers and sisters. They don't necessarily agree with your politics at all, but you have a way of getting into their hearts and making them crack up. Well, I agree. With, well, thank you. And I'll have to say, uh, Jackie Mason, really, his show I wanted to do the thing about it. When you get sober, you can do what you always dreamed about or aspired to do. And I always wanted to do a one person show. And Jackie Mason was doing a one man show on Broadway. And people said, Jimmy, if you want to do a one person show, you got to see Jackie Mason. So I didn't know anything about Jackie, really. I went to the theater, sold out Broadway house. I walked in. John, it was amazing. 2,500 people laughing hysterically. When 2,500 people laugh, you can literally feel the vibrations in the audience. I was sitting in the first row in the balcony and the railing was literally vibrating. And at one point I grabbed the railing and I had this kind of epiphany. And I knew at that moment what I wanted to be, a Jewish comic. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta ask, what, what, what do you think of the current political landscape, Mr. Tingle? I, I, I have days where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can bring myself to write more Trump jokes. And, you know, I, 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 I'm rooting for Biden. I love a lot of what he's done. I can't believe how effective he's been. If he'd yeah. had, you know, if Cinema and Manchin had been Democrats, imagine how much more he could have done. But yeah. what is your current take on the landscape? Uh, I was really afraid about DeSantis six months ago. Not so much these days. That's right. Well, I got to tell you, I'll be honest, John. I, I mean, I like Biden and I've always liked Biden. I like Joe Biden for a lot of reasons. Number one, makes me feel young. And I love that, John. <laughs> Number two, the guy is getting things done. Like you just said, today, he just uh, agreed to allow uh, the refugees from Venezuela to remain in New York and to become part of the fabric of at least temporarily for the next 18 months, the society. So they can actually work. They can, you know, pay their way. They can yeah. be accounted for. And this they is can a pay taxes. Thing. They can pay into yeah. our social security. Exactly. I mean, this is a huge thing. Now that's a, a very risky move. Okay. But you know something, Biden is a Catholic and Biden understands that he and he's always supported immigration reform. And I think if the Judeo-Christian tradition tells us to welcome the stranger. So that's what yes. Biden's doing. And the other thing is, if you realize, if we remember correctly, what happened in World War II when the USS St. Louis pulled up to New York Harbor in the 30s, uh, with the Jewish refugees fleeing uh, Europe and Nazi Germany, and they were turned back. 
they were turned yeah. back and many of yeah. them went to Europe and some of the same arguments at that time were uh, what we are using, you know, that you're hearing today, disease, whatever, crime, you know, unaccountability, well, all these different reasons. And, you know, anyway, they were turned back. And after the war, people in this country said, we can't do that. We can't do that. We, if people get into this country fleeing, uh, you know, a war or extenuating circumstances or life and death issues that we as the United States of America have a right, have an obligation to at least allow them to apply for asylum. And that's what Biden is doing. So I'll tell you, those refugees, 10 years, 20 years, 100 years from now, their grandkids are going to ask them, how'd you come here? And they're going to say, you know what, the president of the United States, we were hungry. They brought us in. We were homeless. They gave us a place to stay. And that's what that's what this is about. And in terms of DeSantis, you know, I think it really obviously we remember what happened with uh, with DeSantis did the opposite. He flew yeah. 50 Venezuelan asylum seekers from Florida to Martha's Vineyard just to embarrass the good people of Martha's Vineyard. John, I say we retaliate. I say we send 50 gay couples reading banned books to Florida. <laughs> I and mean, here's you're, the, you're right. Yeah. Well, here's here's two differences between the, the two different kinds of Catholics, two different kinds of Christians. DeSantis pulls a stunt. Biden says, let's go to the, the better angels. And the New York Democrats had an awful lot to do with this decision. So it's not just Joe Biden, but it's the Democratic Party finding their moral center and figuring out a way that this can work. But what did DeSantis do? And the thing that gets me is these DeSantis is a Catholic. What happens when he dies, John, and gets up there to the pearly gates and he meets St. Peter and Jesus and St. Peter says to him, welcomes uh, Governor DeSantis. Uh, we've been expecting you. Jesus is very busy right now, but he'll be out in a moment. But he has a little memo. We have your records. We just want to say Jesus wrote this himself. He says, I was hungry. You fed me lies. I was thirsty. You offered the cup of bitterness. I was homeless. You sent me away. Oh, come on, St. Peter, when did I ever do that? Jesus says, as you did to the least of these, the Venezuelan refugees, you did unto me. Oh, St. Peter, that's ridiculous. I want to talk to Jesus. Well, you can tell Jesus yourself because he's right here. Jesus, let me just say this. You are taking this way out of context, okay? First of <laughs> all, Senor DeSantis, please call me Jesus. <laughs> You nailed it. I mean, I, you know, like you either call these people what they are, Christian refugees, or you use the Republican slur and call them illegals. Do you mm -hmm. like fans of Donald Trump calling other people illegals? Hmm. No, I don't. But the crazy thing about Trump is, of course, as you know, he could actually win because he has very powerful allies. He cut he cut corporate taxes. The corporations love him. He cut environmental regulations. The oil and gas industry loves him. That man actually cut regulations for the for the Judeo Christian tradition. The Ten Commandments, John, are down to six. He got rid of lying, stealing, cheating, and adultery. Four more years of this guy, there'll be no more commandments. <laughs> Is Trump good for comedy or bad for comedy? Or was there a time that he was good for comedy? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I, I'll tell you one thing, and I think this is really part of what Rupert Murdoch was up to. 
part of what all the all the media were up to. He's good for business. He was good for yeah. the media. He was good yeah. for the media. And they put him on. I mean, there's a famous quote. I mean, Murdoch said it when he was on trial about uh, the uh, Dominion uh, voting machines. He said, listen, I'm not pulling for the blue team. I'm not pulling for, for the red team. I'm pulling for green. I'm paraphrasing. But to yeah. me, it's all about the green. And I think to a certain extent, most businesses in the media are like that. Even CBS, CBS, a famous quote from Les Moonves. Uh, he said, yeah, that's right. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, bad for America, good for CBS. So that's where people were at during his ascension. Wow, my God, the ratings, all this stuff, they're making money. And when people are making money, they're not looking, you know, it's not a, really a moral crusade. You know, it's like, finally, the business is paying off. We're making dough. And that's largely what it was about. No, you're exactly right. I, I will confess, Jim, the two things that scare me the most are that Donald Trump is ratings crack. You know, liberal media, uh, the, the media's only bias is towards ratings and eyeballs, too. And, you know, the thing I like about Biden the most, about his presidency the most, is also the thing that scares me the most, which is that billionaires hate him. I mean, I admire how much billionaires are scared of his agenda, but it terrifies me. If anyone had told you on January 6th, 2021... That now, on the eve of an election year, Trump would be actually polling above Biden, despite record low unemployment and America recovering from inflation faster than any of our capitalist allies. Would would you have believed it that Trump could have this resiliency? Um, no, but I also am very skeptical about the polls. I have to tell you, because the polls were completely wrong on the midterms, okay? They were completely wrong. They're not calling Preach. millennials. They're not calling millennials on these polls. They're not calling, I don't know who they're calling, but the they're polls- calling, They're calling yeah. people who answer landline phones during dinner hours, Jim. That's what they're calling. <laughs> right, exactly. But so, I, A, I'm skeptical about the polls, and B, I think a lot of people, if you- you know, they judge if you're on television and the president is 80 years old. OK. And at times he definitely shows his age. Trump doesn't appear to be uh, impaired in that way. You know, he's vibrant. I mean, you see him in his rallies and he's, you know, up there and he's he looks very uh, aggressive, etc. And <laughs> so if you just compare those two images, I can see why people say, oh, Biden's too old. But it's not about Joe Biden. It's about Bidenism. And what has yes. Bidenism delivered for the country? What have they delivered in terms of infrastructure? What have they delivered just now with the with the this these immigrants and these refugees? This is a game changer. It's going to be a lot. Of, it's going to be uh, get a lot of criticism. But in the big picture for the United States of America, it's going to be a positive thing. Negotiating Medicare prices, right? Climate yeah, change, huge. Gun safety. I mean, choice, choice. OK, where's the Freedom Caucus when it comes to free, freedom of choice for women? So I think we're right on the issues. We have to message and it's going to come down to messaging. And that's why the Democrats, I know they're gearing up for a, a very strong fight, but they're going to have to be messaging. And uh, I'm very optimistic about the Democratic Party winning again. And A, we're right on the issues. And B, the other team is in disarray. I agree. I agree. You know, I, I understand why Biden's not as nervous as a lot of Democrats are. They're they're banking on uh, Donald Trump's seven criminal trials 
over the next year, seven, uh, if you're counting, uh, the recovery continues. And obviously it hasn't manifested itself in cheap grocery prices yet, but things are undeniably better than they were three years ago. And Roe v. Wade, Jim, is going to be driving a lot of people to vote who might not want to vote ordinarily. I agree. And the women are not happy. And you know what I think the sleeper is going to be, John? I think the sleeper very well may be the men in the in the red states who uh, who have a you know a natural um they're not exactly big government types okay they want small government they want the government off their back and when the men and the and a lot of these red states realize that the quote government is going to be telling their wives their daughters their girlfriends uh their significant others that they have to abide by a certain set of rules when it comes to a reproductive freedom i think the men there's going to be a backlash i am predicting john and that the men are going to be financially responsible for all these new children. That's okay? it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think there's going to be a huge backlash. I, I am predicting, John, the 100 million man march on Washington, the largest pro-choice rally in the history of this nation, the 100 man march on Washington. Hey, hey. <laughs> Ho, ho, responsibility got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, we simply do not have the dough. <laughs> I mean, Jim, I'm guilty for years of thinking as long as politicians had mistresses, abortion would stay legal. I was wrong, but I, I am optimistic. <laughs> I, I, I do want to ask you something, though. Your your career has been been so inspiring from like 60 Minutes 2 to the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard to, I mean, you ran for lieutenant governor of Massachusetts and you're a comedian. But one of the things that you always uh, highlight in your act, and I want to close out with this, is that we need spiritual help, that the nation needs spiritual help. But that's not the same as religion, right? Right. Put it this way, okay? How did Donald Trump win? People always ask. He had three words. He had three words, okay? Build the wall, drain the swamp, lock her up, make America great. Three words. We have our own three words. Feed the hungry. Not only the people who are hungry for food, the people who are hungry for opportunity. How's the homeless? Not only the people who walk on the streets on a nightly basis, sadly many of our veterans, but also the people who work all day, every day, and are simply trying to find a place to live and raise a family. How's those homeless? And heal the sick, not only physical illness, but mental illness. And welcome the stranger, John. Welcome the stranger. So America continues to welcome people into this great country rather than pushing people out. This is the message of America. This is the human message. Feed the hungry, house the homeless, heal the sick, welcome the stranger. And I would add, John, fix the trains. <laughs> Jimmy Tingle is playing live all over the place. You can see him Monday nights when he travels down from Boston at the Broadway Comedy Club in New York City. Jimmy, where's the best place for people to go to get all the information about where they can see your act live? Uh, come to the website, jimmytingle.com. Brilliant. You are welcome on this show anytime. This platform is always open to you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. I'd love you to do my show as well. Love you, man. Anytime. Keep up the great work. I'd love to drag your show down to my level. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a moment with your calls at 866-997-4748. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. So long ago, in our Declaration of Independence... Thomas Jefferson famously referred to the indigenous people who were here first, whose land was stolen as merciless Indian savages. That was his 27th grievance against King George, where he accused the king of encouraging domestic insurrection by Native American people against the white colonists. And that language has stayed for over 200 years in our Declaration of Independence. The slur, merciless Indian savages. So imagine how delighted I was to begin seeing, just before America celebrates its 250th anniversary, that phrase popping up on T-shirts all over the place. More often than not, designed by Native American artists themselves, taking back the slur and reminding white people exactly what kind of morality and sense of freedom this country was built on. I am so pleased to welcome two of my favorite activists and writers and public speakers uh, from the Native American community to our show. Now, you guys know Simon Moya-Smith. He's an Oglala Lakota and Chicano journalist. He's a contributing writer. He's been a contributing writer at NBC News. He's written tons of great pieces, and he's the author of the forthcoming book, Your Spirit Animal is a Jack. He recently profiled uh, actress Paulina Alexis of the Peabody Award-winning series Reservation Dogs for The Cut. Julie Francella has also been here, although her name I know is Brave Deer Woman. She's an artist and an illustrator who is deeply rooted in her Ojibwe heritage. Uh, She is a proud citizen of the Batchawana First Nation, and she has worked as everything from a trauma therapist to an artist. Uh, She's also represented by the Charlotte Sheedy Literary Agency in New York City, and she's done our show before as well. Simon and Julie, it's a pleasure to welcome you both back to SiriusXM. Hey, thank thank you so much. Thank you both. Uh, It's really a thrill to have you. Uh, Simon, I want to begin by bringing up something that you had mentioned to me. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, (laughs) who, uh, let's begin with a real heavy hitter uh, in the political (laughs) world. He was was, uh, campaigning and said under his administration, he would deport American kids born to undocumented parents. Now, this is disgusting and it's unconstitutional, but uh, Democrats responded with a a very well-intentioned phrase, that they tend to use that is uh, this is a country of immigrants built by immigrants. And it always sounds really nice until you think a bit deeper about that. Um, What is your response when you hear well-intentioned folks say we're a country of immigrants built by immigrants? You know, I try to be patient with them because if they're American, they were born, they were raised in the American institutions, um, these elementary schools where we are erased. And they use that language that does cause erasure 
of all indigenous peoples. And we're talking about a history that goes back up to 100,000 years when indigenous peoples, you know, anthropologically speaking, first came here. So the idea when, when somebody says this country is a you know, country of immigrants and built by immigrants, well, hang on, bullshit. The indigenous people built also New York City. There was a small community of Mohawks that lived in Brooklyn that were building things like the Empire State Building and skyscrapers. As a matter of fact, all these Irish and, and, and Germans and Italians were watching these Mohawks leap from beam to beam fearlessly because they were tree people. Yes. So the idea that this is just a nation of immigrants, no. It's a nation of, of immigrants and indigenous peoples and peoples who were brought here against their will. Then you could put the period, instead of this idea that the period belongs after built by immigrants. Thank you. I mean, this is a point of view that I will say as a white person was excluded from my education. And I think that banal, well-intentioned phrase about immigrants, that's great. But uh, the reality is that there was a very, very vast civilization here long before the first white person showed up with a line. And, you know, I, I can only imagine. I mean, you are you have do such a great job of pointing out this colonization of our thinking and how generations have been raised with one sense of morality, which can be very well-intentioned, and yet we have been systemically blinded to the realities of the history of this land. Totally conditioned. Yeah. 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 I mean, Julie, the last time you were here, we were talking about what was going on in Canada with the bodies of children and unmarked graves that were identified near the residential school sites across Canada. And uh, you were there, actually, um, alongside Prime Minister Trudeau, when the remains of more than 1,900 people, 1,900 mostly children, were found. Canada seems to be a little bit ahead of the U.S. in terms of indigenous rights and respect for Native peoples. Well, I'm, I mean, I think I would agree with the fact that Canada is um, engaging in something we call truth and reconciliation. So they're making some moves towards reconciling sort of the history that uh, Canada has, you know. And so I was there on the ground at Kawasas First Station when um, we had ceremony for these um, children that were the unmarked graves that were discovered. And um, I've, as you know, I've worked in um, treatment centers for the last, you know, 13 years or so working with indigenous families and youth. And there's something that we... uh, call intergenerational trauma. So that's basically trauma that's been handed down from generation to generation in indigenous communities, um, indigenous families. And one of the things I think um, is important to, for maybe for your listeners to know, um, one of the things I would remind our young indigenous youth about is we also have been handed down things like our strength and our resilience you know, senses of humor. Um, I was there on the ground and I wanted to to mention sort of, this is sort of how indigenous humor works. Like we were at this very somber event and Chief Cadmus Delorme, who was the chief of the nation at that time, was introducing Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And he said, you know, we'd like to welcome our, our relative, our brother, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and he said as a joke, you know, and, and our elders have given him this indigenous and Indian name, and we call him he who tries really hard. 
And, you know, <laughs> the whole place just started laughing and, you know, burst out laughing and he laughed and it just lightened, you know, this very somber mood. And I think that speaks to the resilience of Indigenous people and being Absolutely. able to find, you know, you know, it was a solemn event, but just that's our way, you know, Native people often will just be very um, humorous and, and make light and make jokes so that um, that's one of the ways that we've been able to, I think, survive, you know, the atrocities that we've survived. I wanted to kind of um, go back to the Merciless Indian Savages, which, by the way, was my high school band name in uh, high school. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't. Um, but there's a paradox there, too, because during the debate um, in June of 1776, um, the members of the Continental Congress actually invited 21 Iroquois chiefs to the Independence Hall, and they were there during the debate over the Declaration of Independence. And this has kind of been obscured and not really talked about, uh, even as the country's founders were writing language into this document that disparaged Native Americans. They also were learning from Native Americans and building right. you know, the foundations of government based on inspiration from the Iroquois. So I think a lot of people maybe don't realize that England was basically the size of Pennsylvania. And so, you know, how do you unify, you know, um, 13 colonies that were spread out over this vast, you know, space? And so one of the ways to unify the people was racism. Right? We're fighting racism. the Indians. Yeah. And that was a way to, you know, um, that exactly. rhetoric, that was a way to kind of you know, unify people on the frontier yeah, you'll, for fighting you'll, the Indians. You'll use them for resources and for wisdom, and then you will smear them for politics. I mean, Simon, we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, we hear about the residential school discoveries in Canada. I'm shocked that no one talks about the fact that this happened here, too, and America hasn't begun admitting it to itself yet. Oh, hell no. And I've said this to you on, on your show before, um, you can't be the greatest nation in the world if you're guilty of a genocide. And yeah. you, they don't want to acknowledge what they have done to indigenous people. And the fact that there are mass graves of indigenous children, and that they ha some that haven't even been found yet. But there are these initiatives we're trying to, while at the <laughs> same time we're trying to repatriate human bones from universities and museums. That's right. I mean, currently, there's a, UC Berkeley is one of the worst. I wrote a piece for The Nation recently about it. The state of California is, is holding uh, the universities there to task. And then you go on the East Coast and you have the Carlisle Indian Boarding School and that history. And then when you bring this up to people, they're like, no, there's no we don't have mass graves here. You're like, yes, there are mass graves of indigenous children killed by the Catholic Church and the United States in association with what were called Indian boarding schools. And yep. then you have the, you know, uh, the big massive pits, like the one on my reservation that white people dug in the dead of winter to bury murdered indigenous men, women and children at the Wounded Knee Massacre. So. Again, it goes back to the idea that this country has a really hard time acknowledging what it has done to indigenous people. It's a hard conversation for them to have. So that's why you also find a lot of people claiming to be a quarter Cherokee. You find them to say, I'm Blackfoot, because at, at that point, they distance, distance themselves from any association with what their grandma and their grandpa and their grandfather, great-grandfather so did. 
Like it's so true. That's what they did. I'm on your. I'm, I'm like you. Like no, you're not. I'm down with the struggle. I'm one sixteenth Cherokee. I'm down. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm an ally. Yeah. It's the convenient Indian. I think you and I discussed those those convenient Indians. They claim to be natives, but they're not. So they come yeah. in and they they're wearing a headdress and they say I'm a quarter Cherokee and they're at a Halloween party and you're you're like oh. okay you're gonna be cl- you're gonna claim to be native to wear that and then you're gonna fuck off after and not know any not do anything in Indian country exactly. not be a, a, associated with a community not learn if you don't really know so the fact that people don't know about the mass graves and the boarding schools here in the United States is is also as a result of media you know that's true legacy media there's not many natives hired at these these big you know uh legacy media locations like nbc news cbs so you can pitch the story but that white editor can reject it if he thinks it's too dark too dim i mean you know we talk about cultural appropriation but julie this story out of canada about these two twin sisters who I, I think are like trying to be the Rachel Dolezal of, of the indigenous community. They, Amira and Nadia Gill, right? Are their yeah. names? They they claimed that they were native just to get yes. thousands of dollars in scholarships. What and, happened? And there? they did actually. Um, in Iqaluit, um, the RCMP actually started investigating um, these two twin sisters, and they had claimed that they had um, Inuit status or indigenous status. And they were receiving all of these um, scholarships. They they received thousands of dollars of scholarships that were meant for indigenous people. And um, indigenous people from that community started to question this because they didn't know, you know, these young people. And so um, the RCMP investigated and found that their claims were fraudulent and false. And so, you know, they were um, charged with fraud. Uh, and this actually happens quite often. There's a term, a colloquial term um, in Indian country, and basically it's pretendians. And you have university. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, pretendians. And there's university professors that actually I know of um, in Canada and in the United States. And they've claimed, you know, this indigenous status and they're teaching um, various subjects um, that are related to indigenous um, history and culture. And there's no indigenous nation that claims them. And so, you know, they're sort of claiming this this history and this identity, um, receiving, you know, you know, professional jobs and they're receiving, you know, money and grants and things like that. And money that uh, should be going money that should be going to the descendants of people who were the victims of genocide. Exactly. Exactly. Indigenous identity fraud. I I can see why the sense of humor comes in handy. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's true. I'm sorry, Simon. Go ahead, Simon. Box checkers. Box checkers. A box check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they check the box and then they fuck up. You know, they, they check the box to get the job on the application. They check the box, American Indian, to uh, get into the university. Elizabeth Warren yeah. checked the box. She's mm-hmm. a patron saint of box checkers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, we're now hitting fall uh, here. And so, Simon, I know we've talked about this before. When autumn comes around, that means it's time to go back to sports which means it's time to go back to problematic mascots. Uh, some progress has been made in the last couple of years, right? I mean, there has been some, especially if you like the name Commanders, but um, we still got a ways to go, don't we? Oh, a long ways to go. I mean, yes. you still have the Blackhawks, you have the Chiefs, you have the Florida State Seminoles, you have mm-hmm. um, all these local schools that, that don't want to get rid of their, their mascot. Some of them are named Savage, some, are, some of them are named Warriors. 
but you have to remind them that it's still dehumanizing. You're dehumanizing yeah, right. the whole race of people and ca- making a caricature out of who we are and playing us isn't it, it, it has an impact, an empirical impact on or on the mental health and stability. Or it's been empirically proven to have a, a negative impact on the mental health and stability of children specifically. There's a great professor, uh, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg. Look her up. I mean, she's yeah. one of the leading voices who has that empirical um, peer-reviewed research that demonstrates how this harms the mental health and stability of children. And at the end of the day, I don't. If you're native, if you're white, if you're if you're black, if you're Asian, if you're Latino, we all want to take care of our kids. So what yeah. makes yeah. us any fucking different? This is I mean, yeah, I, listen, listen yeah. to the science. I worked with um, indigenous uh, young people for many years, and um, we had discussions about how does this make you feel, you know, and it, it makes them feel like they're a stereotype, like they're the mascot, like they're, you know, this marginalized group of people. There's a statistic out there, um, I think it's 77% of Americans don't know a Native American. And that I believe blows it. my mind. You know, so I guess Simon and I are here to be your friendly neighborhood, you know, Native Americans that you can say, you know, Um, but it's true. You know, this um, appreciation and appropriation are different things because you'll hear people say, oh, no, no, we just appreciate, you know, Native Americans. That's why we're going to dress up, you know, like Pocahontas or whatever for Halloween. There's a big difference between appreciation and appropriation. God, I mean, I can only imagine, like, I, I remember being a kid watching the Mets play the Atlanta Braves, and the first time I saw all the stadium full of white people do the tomahawk chop, like it's Munich in 1939, it was one of the first times I was embarrassed of white people and embarrassed for white people, and then their mascot, Chief Nakahoma, and like, this is this is the the 90s that this happened. It's just, and now I guess with Halloween coming up, we, we have to worry about this all over again, right? I mean, yeah. it, yeah, always. You there? I mean, it's everywhere. It's it's ubiquitous, especially here in the United States specifically. This time of year, uh, it is the beginning of, of sports season, so that is the Chiefs, that is the Blackhawks, and then you also have um, Native American Heritage Month coming up. But yeah. when that in, in November, you know, there's also Thanksgiving. So this is a really dark and hard season for Indigenous people because we come off like the party poopers. We come right. off you know, yeah. as somebody who just doesn't turn the cheek. But why would we turn the cheek knowing that, say, in, indigenous women here in the U- U.S. specifically are 3.5 times more likely to be sexually assaulted than women of any other demographic? And then you see these parties uh, and they're, they're called Pocahontas costumes where these oh. girls come in, you know, white girls mostly come in scantily clad um, garb, which is supposed to look like an Indian or Pocahontas. Or and don't use this word, please, guys. If all the listeners, the word is squaw. That's a very, very, very bad word. Yeah. That's that is right. a word that white people used to describe what they wanted, and what they wanted was a woman for sex. So they were talking Correct. about her, you know, her body. So anyway, it, it's just it it becomes so frustrating that you've done all of this work, and yet we're still coming across people with the same questions that our grandparents right. have answered over and over, or fighting the same fights, fighting mascots, fighting appropriation and racism and horrible language uh, about us and stupid shit also. It's kind of like the, the one where it's like, I love this one. People say it's uncharted land. How the fuck do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> that that's uncharted land. Maybe we're just not telling you anymore. 
Yeah. Because these things are so fucking long. It's charted. I can promise you that. But we're not going to tell you anymore. So, again, we're coming across a lot of the the battles that our elders uh, had to deal with. And then, again, every autumn, it's the same battle. So one of the things that Indigenous should have, kind of like people should, when they think of us, is we're pretty fucking patient. Oh, I mean, yeah. my God, I'll say, I mean, I was I once doing some research on uh, geography and, you know, there's there's two words you're not allowed to name land masses or rivers after or hills or mountains or forests. It's the N word and, and the word Jap. Uh, and in my research, I was appalled to find out how the word squaw is used. Yeah so often on local and regional maps to describe pathways or forests or hills or creeks or rivers. Wow. Yeah. I think, Going you know, around Thanksgiving, yeah. just the idea of like reclaiming narratives, you know, um, turning Thanksgiving into a day of reflection and remembrance, you know, Indigenous Peoples Day, you know, to educate others about, you know, true histories and to honor our ancestors. I think just reclaiming that is important for Indigenous people. Well, also, Julie, I know that last night you were in uh, New York City for the U.N. Climate Ambition Summit. Um, yes. I think one of the things that we don't talk about enough in the media is that climate change always affects marginalized peoples the harshest. And yeah. this People's Climate Week is really an intervention led by indigenous black and Latino and Asian Pacific yeah. Islander people. Um, how was the event last night at the it- U.N.? It was so um, heartwarming for me to be in a room full. They had people from the Amazon, you know, um, just interestingly enough, like the language that's used, you know, we we hear people, non-Indigenous people talk about the earth as a planet or as a habitat. And for Indigenous people, we use the term mother, you know, she is our mother. Um, and how do you treat, you know, your mother, you know, a mother who nourishes you? And our relationship with, with Mother Earth is very reciprocal. You know, we never take more than we give back. You know, if we take, cut down a tree, you know, we replace that. Or even, you know, hunting animals, the bones are re, re, re um, buried into the ground. And so that's that reciprocal nature. Um, one of the things I wanted to kind of share with your listeners is indigenous communities protect 80% of the planet's biodiversity, despite constituting just 5% of the global population. And our traditional practices have safeguarded our environment for a millennia. And to me, like, that's just astounding. You know, even um, traditional Indigenous ecological wisdom and traditional knowledge offer insights on sustainable land and water management. And our ancient wisdom is invaluable in addressing contemporary environmental challenges. Where Indigenous communities are often live in areas that are particularly vulnerable to climate change, um, rising sea levels, changing weather patterns, increasing natural disasters, disproportionately impact Indigenous communities. And I believe, you know, for decades and decades, we have been the stewards of the land, you know, yes. and so it it's not just native interests, you know, it's all of our interests to, exactly. to protect Mother Earth. And I think that I, that's kind of the message out there right now. I mean, Simon, we, we've talked about this before, but I think one of the greatest things Joe Biden has done is, is not just have an indigenous woman, the first ever to join his cabinet, but someone who was actually making meals for people at Standing Rock. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, what kind of progress would you like to see, say, if Joe Biden gets a second term? What what kind of issues should Democrats be talking about 
that could help uh, the indigenous community and educate uh, the non-indigenous? You know, the, the sad part about that question is that you can touch on any topic and will be rarely discussed or included. Yeah, I know. I mean, touch, touch on health care, murdered and missing right. indigenous women, the climate, yep. education, every topic that is typically discussed on a platform by a Democrat who wants to get elected. And yeah. we, we shouldn't get excited whenever they mention natives. That should be the norm. They shouldn't right. just go down that diversity list and then leave out Native Americans. So when it comes to things, especially like Indian Health Services, mm-hmm. people don't even know what that is. And so like, right. if you're a Native and you get sick here in the United States, you can go to Indian Health Services. But largely, it sucks. Let's say somebody has a GI <laughs> issue, an elder has a GI issue, and you go to the Indian Health Services. They're like, well, we don't have any GI doctors in the state. So if you want to be seen by somebody, you got to go to another state. And then you're, you're you're caught in this this vicious cycle of of right. indigenous people who have a lower life expectancy, That's and then right. they have no health care or shitty health care. So yeah. any we touch on any topic, throw out a topic, and you're right. Hopefully, hopefully the United States, uh, the Biden administration, and even local, you know, even state of Colorado, California, New York, etc begins to acknowledge indigenous people and that unemployment impacts us. Exactly. Unemployment benefits impacts indigenous people. So we're just, we're excluded from that diversity list, which typically starts white, black, Latino, Asian. And then we, we've been othered, literally been othered by CNN. They just said, you know, they called us others. Well, I mean, that's why that's the end of the day. I would just like them to include us. That's why your work means so much. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why your work means so much to me. And I I would love to do this again and have the two of you back here together again on the show, because uh, these issues, you're right. It doesn't just affect the indigenous people. It affects everyone and every political issue that divides us. We can relate it to the struggle of the native people who were here Mm -hmm. first. Uh, Before I go, though, I would be most remiss if I didn't ask you, Julie and, and Simon, Tell me about Grogu, the child, oh. Baby Yoda. Is it true that <laughs> I keep hearing that, that uh, he's been claimed? Listen, Simon and I, our relationship, our friendship almost was ended over this debate. And it's dividing oh, no. Indian country, you know, across Turtle Island. I know for a fact that Baby Grogu is Ojibwe. I just have to say. <laughs> the Ojibwe the Ojibwe also like to say they have the best fry bread. So <laughs> it's Bannock, by the way, but we do. Fry bread. It's true. Yeah, there's always gonna be something new, Watch. There's gonna be something that's gonna surpass Grogu. And indigenous people love to claim it. But you're gonna find that argument across Indian country, especially with fry bread. The Dene, the Navajo say they have the best. We the Lakota would say we have the best. But then yeah, of Ojibwe. course Grogu is Lakota. Well, but I Star Wars, you... yeah. Sorry, in terms of Star Wars, you know, the you know indigenous philosophies, people resonate with you know the Force, right? Music from your Apple Music library. Yeah, yeah. But Grogu's cute, and we're cute. <laughs> Simon, I will vouch for that. You are adorable. I want to thank you right. both for doing this. Can we do this more often, please? I, I, the two of you are great together, and I'd love to have you on That'd more regularly fun. to talk about whatever's going on in the community. Because, come on, man, white people have to know. Uh, Julie, how can our listeners follow you and keep up with your work? All of the social media at Julie Franchella. Um, and, yeah, just follow me on uh, what I still call Twitter or Instagram. Twitter. 
Yeah, right it's on. Still yeah. Simon Moya Smith, what's the best way for our listeners to keep up with your work? I mean, I share everything on Instagram these days because, yeah, I don't even know. Do you tweet or do you X now? Because it's called I, X. I, I, I think you we tweet. We tweet. <laughs> is he still tweeting? I mean, isn't the bird gone? The bird's gone, but you're still allowed to de- dead name the website. I've decided that. So, right, Simon, Simon, right on. Simon Moya Smith, Julie Franchella, this has been great. Please let's do this more often because there's a, so many issues and they don't get covered on mainstream news. I am honored to have you both here. We got to take Thank a quick break. So we'll be much. right back. This is progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My thanks to Julie Franchella and Simon Moya-Smith. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Mark in South Dakota, thank you so much for waiting on hold. Whatever, whatever. Hello? I was going to say, uh, whatever the stat was, I think it was 23%, but I, I'm one of them. <laughs> okay, oh, okay, great. Right on. Yeah, well, uh, Yeah. it's always interesting. Like, uh, I mean, I, I'm one of those, I'm not like truly an expert, but it's one of those things that I, you know, I, live in experience every day. So I like, I kind of understand, you know, what they're, you know, what I deal with it. Cause I deal with like, you know, the, the racist jack offs and the, you know, all the, and so on. Yeah. Every day. But, we, we are uh, raised to like, be, we, we, we're taught about the racism African-Americans face and Asian-Americans face, but we're seldom taught about the very real and present racism that indigenous people face both here and in Canada. It's crazy. Yeah. And they're one of the few ones that, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to, like, you know, downplay, like, what the, well, especially African-Americans dealt with, but they're the ones that can say, like, you know, hey, hey, so you're all here, you know, but, uh, but uh, if you're, if you're going to get into that sort of pissing, whatever. Right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the segment. I did. I did very much. I, it was, uh, uh, by the way, I got, uh, that first guest you had, uh, yeah, kind of inadvertently, like, joking, but I, like, kind of made that. Uh, made the same comment, like joking, not joking, about like how there's going to be a lot of guys like just from the ones who like are empathetic and genuinely care about like how it's going to affect, affect women in general, or at least women they love, to the to the yeah. guys who realize they you know may have to pay child support. <laughs> exactly. I don't understand why people yeah. are still saying that women's reproductive rights is a women's issue because there's a lot of guys out there who care a lot about abortion rights. And my yeah. God, uh, I'm glad they're starting to speak up. But like, I, I agree with Jimmy Tingle. I want to see the Million Man March for abortion rights because Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's, one of those things you know, that you do like to, uh, going back on the kind of original topic here, uh, you love to go on your list of things to talk, uh, that Biden uh, did. But one that often gets 
left out is that and this is something that I kind of kick back every time you have one of these guys complaining about gas prices and uh, the whole yeah. and patient thing. Uh, yeah. I I trying to remember like what it was, but uh, there was this uh, elder in Standing Rock. Like once that he got that news, I remember the story where he broke down crying because, as far as he knew, that was the first time an American politician made a promise to. Uh, to to like basically any native uh, or indigenous people and kept it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mark, thank you so much for the call. We got to hit a hard break, but I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, listen, I'm honored those guys wanted to do our show, and they told me that we're the first show to have a regular indigenous segment, so bring it on. I can't wait for more. 